All right, everybody. So as Cody said, today we're in part two of our one series. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring a prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. In verse 21 of that chapter, Jesus prayed that we would be one, that his followers would be one like he and his heavenly father are one. Now, as you look around the world, somebody give me a, a summary of how we're doing at being unified. Not, not in the world. Let's just say the United States. Crappy. Crappy. Yep. There you go. Great summary. Thank you, Sabrina. <laughs> I don't think we need any more. We're doing a, a really bad job of being unified. We are so divided right now. We are divided politically and generationally and socioeconomically, ethnically. There's so many divisions right now, and those divisions are literally tearing our nation apart. I think that's why Jesus prayed. John chapter 17, verse 23, he prayed that we would experience such perfect unity that the world would know that God the Father sent Jesus and that the Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. So we said last week that our unity has the ability to pull people to Jesus. And on the flip side, our disunity has the ability to push people away from Jesus. So let that sink in for a moment. Our disunity has the ability to send people to hell. Your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, people that maybe you go to school with, when they see our disunity, often they step away from the God who died to invite them into a relationship that can last forever, that perfect relationship of unity with him. So our unity should be so incredibly important to us, and that information should motivate us to fight for unity no matter where we see disunity. Now, today we're going to explore a, an amazing Bible story that talks about unity and specifically zeroes in on ethnic reconciliation. And it's a story that we looked at four months ago, uh, but as we were preparing for this series, I thought, you know what, this is such a powerful story. We're going to go back into this story because there's a whole lot more for us to learn. Before I tell you where that story is, I, I've got to give you a disclaimer for today and every day that we are in this series together, okay? So the disclaimer is this. Right now, there is so much division in our world. Everyone seems to be on high alert for anything that sounds offensive. And with so many political landmines out there, it is next to impossible not to step on one of those things that makes somebody feel offended. In addition to that, we seem to have lost the skill of listening and learning and discussing instead of debating and name-calling and mudslinging. So what I'm asking in this series is that we listen together, listen for what God has to say, and that we ask him, God, what do you want me to do with this information that you have delivered. Don't get offended. Don't close your ears off because you hear something that you th think I'm saying and you think you know where that's going. Don't do that. 
Do your best to set your filters aside. And I understand how hard that is. I have my own filters that I have to do that with. So let's do our best to set our filters aside, hear what God has to say, and then say, God, what do you want me to do with this? So can we all agree to that today? All right, so I got the front half said yes. Back half, hopefully, you know, you'll join us uh, by the rest. Hopefully, if you're watching online, you're feeling that way as well, that yes, we'll listen and ask, God, what do you want me to do? So our Bible story is found in John chapter 4, and it records this amazing story of Jesus taking his disciples on a field trip. So Jesus was taking them from Judea in the southern part of Israel. He was taking them to Galilee in the northern part of Israel, and they went through a region in between called Samaria. And we'll explain the importance of Samaria in a minute. But John chapter 4, verse 1 says this. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and, she said to, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. This woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, we're going to pause there and explore her response for, for just a moment. So she's surprised that Jesus is speaking to her, and she references uh, why she's surprised. She's surprised because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They didn't like each other at all, and so let me explain why. So a Samaritan is the offspring of one Jew who marries a Gentile somebody who was non-Jew. And at that time, they were marrying the Assyrians. So the Assyrians defeated the Babylonians in battle, and some of the Assyrians came to live in that region. So some of these Jews were intermarrying with another culture, a Gentile culture. And so the pure-blooded Jews thought the Samaritans were traitors to their God, traitors to their country. And so they said, we don't want to have anything to do with you if you're going to be that much of a traitor against our God. So the Jews hated the Samaritans, and you can probably imagine how the Samaritans felt about the Jews. There was no love lost between them. So there is this ethnic division between Jesus and this Samaritan woman, but there's another division. There's a gender division as well. So this woman says, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, back then, in that culture, it would be very inappropriate for a man to speak alone publicly with a woman like this. And we find out in verse 6 that this woman came to the well at noontime. Now, in that day, it was customary for women to go get their water together in the morning before it got too hot. So it was a thing they would do together, kind of like when women go to the bathroom together. <laughs> so you get that context? Okay, so the ladies, they, they go to the, the well in the morning as a group, as a community. This lady wasn't a part of that group. She wasn't a part of that club. And um, the reason could be, it's not clear in scripture, but the reason could be because this woman was the town prostitute. We're not exactly sure, but we will find out in a moment that she was an outcast in an outcast 
society. So she's got three strikes against her. She's a Samaritan, so that means there's an ethnic divide between her and Jesus. She's a woman, there's a gender divide. And she's an outcast, get this, she's an outcast in an outcast society. So, you know, kind of if you were to rank people, she's kind of at the bottom of the barrel. So there is a spiritual divide between her and Jesus. It's really sad, but we have this terrible tendency of ranking and labeling people based upon our judgment of them and then treating them based upon those labels that we put on them. And that often makes people feel like an outcast, like an outsider. And there's a chance this morning that if you're new with us or you're watching online and you're new, there's a chance that you feel like an outcast. You know, uh, as we watched that uh, video this morning of Daniel, Danielle, her story, uh, Danielle said, you know, I felt like an outcast, like church was not my thing. Like, why would I go be around Christians? Because they're not going to treat me well. And there's all these, these ways that we make people feel like outcasts. And maybe this morning you feel like an outcast. Uh, if you feel that way, I'm glad you're here. You came on a great day because I hope at the end you don't feel that way anymore. So this woman feels like an outcast. And again, we have this terrible tendency of ranking and labeling people and then treating them based upon those labels that we give them. And here is an example of that. So back in 1968, the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, a teacher by the name of Jane Elliott did a little experiment with her third grade class. She divided her class by eye color she got all the brown-eyed students together. She got all the blue-eyed students together. And she told the class that the brown-eyed students were better and smarter than the blue-eyed students. She gave them extra recess, extra time at lunch, extra privileges. And she said that the response from her students was almost instantaneous. She said her brown-eyed students started to act more confident and more condescending. Her blue-eyed students started to act more timid, insecure. They were very unsure about themselves. The experiment went on for a few days, and then she switched the experiment and said, no, um, I got that wrong. So it's actually the blue-eyed students are better than the brown-eyed students. And she said there was a role reversal. Wasn't as drastic as before, but there was still a role reversal. The blue-eyed students started acting confident and a little condescending. The brown-eyed students started acting more insecure and unsure of themselves. Again, that goes back to our tendency, terrible tendency, of ranking, ranking and labeling people based upon our labels of them and treating them based upon these labels that we put on them. Now, one of the things that Miss Elliot was trying to teach can be found in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says this, from one man, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. From one man. And uh, we understand that that included one woman as well. From one man and one woman, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. So the reality is God created all the different ethnicities, all the different cultures, that there are around the world. And what that means is there are not different races in our world. 
There's only one race, that's the human race. So let that sink in for, for just a moment. There aren't different races in our world. There's only one race, the human race. Now, when I first heard that, I thought it was a matter of semantics. I, I thought, well, it's just a matter of definitions, and I'm not sure the significance of that. But the more I've chewed on that, the more I've processed that, the more important this has become. Because if we keep talking about different races, we keep reinforcing division between us, division that's imaginary, division that really doesn't exist. Um, but when we understand that we come from the same race, that has the ability to break down some of those divisions. And I know this is a small step, but I think one practical way that we can reduce some of the ethnic tension in our world is to stop saying we come from different races because we don't. We come from the same race. We're on the same team. We're on the human race team. If you feel like saying amen several more times throughout the service, feel free. <laughs> now, back in our story, we're not exactly sure how this Samaritan woman knew that Jesus was a Jew. Not sure. I don't know if Jesus was wearing his Jews for Jesus shirt that day. <laughs> don't know how she knew this. She could have picked up his accent. If you've ever thought, hey, maybe Jesus had an accent that went with the Jews. Maybe it, there was an arrogance, but she wouldn't pick up an arrogance from Jesus because Jesus didn't behave that way. But it was clear that Jesus did not hide his ethnicity when he interacted with her. So listen to what Dr. Tony Evans says about that in his book called Oneness Embraced, a book that I highly recommend you get and read. He says this, when Jesus went through Samaria, he did not give up his own culture. He did not stop being a Jew to reach a Samaritan, but neither did he allow his culture to prevent him from connecting with her or meeting a spiritual need in her. So how that applies to us is I think we should not be embarrassed by our culture. We should not try to hide our ethnicity. We should not try to feel guilty about our ethnicity because God created all the ethnicities, all the cultures in the world. God loves diversity. We need to learn how to love diversity as well. So we should celebrate our diversity. And at the same time, we should never allow our cultural diversity to keep us from serving someone else. Why? Because we're on the same team. We're on the same human race team. So after Jesus asked this woman for a drink of water, the Samaritan woman was shocked. And Jesus said in verse 10, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It, will, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, this woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And Jesus told her, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus replied, you're right. 
you don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you're not even married to the man that you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. This woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. Now, can you imagine if you meet someone new, you start a conversation with them and uh, all of a sudden they reveal your hidden secrets? Can you imagine how awkward that conversation would be? And you got to try to wonder, like, what would you do in that moment? What would you do if uh, someone just kind of prophetically started talking out loud about your secret life? Um, I think I would probably try to change the subject. So she changes the subject. She brings up a spiritually divisive subject, something that she thinks, you know what? I'll just say this, and then it'll be like a hand grenade that'll go off right here, and then Jesus will go, oh, you know what? We're done with that. Like, we're not in agreement, and it'll end the conversation. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't take her bait. He didn't get angry. He didn't power up on her. He engaged a conversation, and then he did something really amazing. Verse 25, this woman tried to end the conversation again. So they get in this discussion about where they're really supposed to worship God, And uh, Jesus answers, and she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I know you Jews think you're always right about everything else, and so yeah, like this just fits into the narrative, so let's just end the conversation. It's going nowhere. And then Jesus, in verse 26, says, "Uh, you know that Messiah that you're waiting on? I'm that guy. I am the Messiah. We learned several months ago when we studied this that Jesus used, when he said that phrase, I am, he used the same phrase that God used when he spoke with Moses to tell Moses to go free the people of Israel from slavery to the Egyptians. He said, I am who I am. Jesus used the exact same phrase, revealing his deity to this woman. Now, it's easy for us to kind of gloss over that and miss the significance of it. But why would Jesus reveal his deity to an outcast discriminated against Samaritan woman? No one would do that, but Jesus did. Jesus, with that statement, I think elevated her value and her worth and her significance and importance to God. And Jesus was communicating, you are that important. Even in an outcast community, in an outcast society, you are at the bottom of the barrel in this community, and I came to tell you, you matter. I came to tell you, you matter so much, I'm going to reveal my deity to you. I think that's why verse 28 says that she left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Verse 40 says, when they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So some Samaritans begged this Jew and his disciples to stay in their village, and he stayed for two days. Now, how do you think Jesus' disciples felt about spending the weekend in the Samaritan village? Probably not excited. You know, they're probably thinking, you know what, if we have to drive through this part of town, can we just pull off and get gas and something to eat and keep moving? Like, why do we have to stay here? But they stayed for two whole days. They slept in Samaritan homes. 
They ate Samaritan food. They engaged deeply with those Samaritans. And verse 41 says, they stayed in Samaria long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then the people in the community said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you've told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. It's a powerful story. And I want to circle back into it for some things for us to learn today, some application for us. And the first thing is this. Jesus engaged a conversation with this Samaritan woman that led to her and her whole community coming to know him as their savior. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're a Samaritan. I'm not going to help you. You're a traitor to our God. You've left our faith, kind of started your own version of that. I'm not going to help you. Jesus didn't do that. He masterfully engaged a spiritual conversation with her to help her and her whole community come to know him as their savior. I think that's something that we have to learn how to do, especially when we're working on reconciling different ethnic groups. We've got to learn how to have conversations. And I don't mean social media conversations. I mean real conversations where we sit down across the table from someone and we listen and we learn And we seek to understand before we seek to being understood. And we have conversations that go back and forth about these tough issues. And we demonstrate, we model our love for other people the way that Jesus modeled his love for this woman in this moment. Tim Jones, our executive pastor, keeps saying this. He keeps saying, conversations create solutions. He's right. Conversations create solutions. And that's something that our pastoral staff has been doing with the ethnic tension that we've been experiencing in our nation. We have sat with about 20 different people in our church family, minorities, first responders, and more. And we've just had conversations and we've, we've asked questions. Tell us how discrimination has impacted your life. Uh, what are some thoughts that you think that, that we could do as Christ followers to end some of this and address some of these issues? We've had some great conversations that have been very powerful for me, and I think they've been powerful for those we've engaged these conversations with. And I think that we've found some really cool unity in the midst of those conversations. Do we agree with each other on everything that's out there? No. But we don't have to, to love people. You don't have to agree with every person you talk to about every subject that's out there for you to love somebody. We can disagree and agree to disagree and still treat people with the same respect that they deserve. And we've got to learn how to do that. Another thing that Jesus did was he purposely crossed every divide that separated him from this Samaritan woman. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 said Jesus had to go through Samaria. That wasn't technically true. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Jesus could have taken the long route around Samaria, the path that most Jews would take. There was actually a road that went around Samaria for the Jews that said, I don't want to go through Samaria. I don't want to have an interaction with those traitors, those people, those outcasts. So they would go the long way around just to avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus, culturally speaking, he went out of his way. 
to go to this Samaritan woman and serve this community that only knew discrimination from the Jews. So he went out of his way to build a relationship with them so they could be reconciled to God. And that's something that Jesus consistently did. Jesus crossed every divide that's been out there. Jesus crossed cultural divides and gender divides and socioeconomic divides and spiritual divides. Think about the divide between him and us. Jesus crossed the divide. Why? Because you matter. You matter that much for Jesus to leave the splendor of heaven, to come and demonstrate your value. So if you're a Christ follower, I got to ask this morning, what divides are you crossing? I guarantee you there's a divide in your world right now. I guarantee you there is someone of another ethnicity, someone of another gender, another political party, another generation who needs to know their value and worth. And you and I can communicate that to them. But for that to happen, we have to cross a divide. We have to be like Jesus and purposely go out of our way, step across a divide to shrink that divide, to communicate people's value and worth to God. And again, that doesn't mean that we're going to agree with everybody on every issue out there, but we can sure treat people with the love and respect that they deserve. After Jesus' disciples came back from lunch, they were shocked to find him speaking with this Samaritan woman, but none of them had the nerve to bring it up to him. And they're all wondering, what's he doing talking to this woman? Nobody uh, mentioned it. They gave Jesus his Chick-fil-A box lunch with his honey roasted barbecue sauce, which I know Jesus asked, make sure you get extra. And then in verse 34, Jesus said, listen, guys, I got to tell you something. Like, I'm, I'm really full here. Like, I'm, I'm spiritually full. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvest, harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit that they harvest is people. The fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. And what joy awaits both planter and harvester alike. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. I think Jesus is saying, wake up, wake up, look around. There's so much division in our world. There's, there's so many people looking for some sort of unity, but they don't even know that it exists. And it can exist in God's family when we act like God's family. When we treat all people equally, We treat all people with the same love and respect, again, that they deserve. Again, Jesus said in John 17, 23, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know, that the world will know. Again, our unity has the ability to pull people to Jesus. Our disunity has the ability to push people away from him. Now, we're going to transition here. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul described what Jesus did to cross the spiritual divide between us and him. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he said, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it in pieces, said, This is my body 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, listen, guys, like I'm about to allow my body to be broken to fix what you have damaged. And then after supper, he picked up a cup of wine. Verse 25 says he took the cup of wine, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So unity was such a big deal to Jesus, he modeled it, he prayed about it, and he gave his life for it. And he asks us, those who are his followers, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, he's asked us to care that much about unity, that we'd be willing to model it, that we'd be willing to fight for it, we'd be willing to promote it, that we'd even be willing to die for it. It should be that important to us. So as we take communion today, what I ask is that as you are in your communion time, have a conversation with God based upon what we said at the beginning of today's message. God, what do you want me to do with this? And I hope out of this, there's some declarations that you have or some determinations in your heart. I hope that you will determine to cross every divide that stands between you and someone else. As you look around your world, you think about people at work, people at school, people in your neighborhood, maybe people at at the gym that you work out at or, or the places that you shop, you think about the divides that could be there. Determine to cross those divides. Have spiritual conversations with people. Learn how to bring unity. Again, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are people who step into conflict situations and bring peace in the midst of that disunity. And work to invite people into a relationship with God. So learn how to have spiritual conversations with people. And I know that can be scary sometimes. Sometimes we like to keep politics and religion all that separate. Like, let's just not get into that. It's too messy. Jesus didn't do that. He stepped into all of those things to reduce the gaps that were there. And we got to learn how to do the same thing. Now, if I have um, pricked something in your heart today, if I've pricked something, you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And if you would like to have a conversation and together seek God on that, um, I'll be available after the service. I'll be right up front here. would love to talk with you if, if you need that. You can stop with our, our care center on the way out, talk with somebody there about a need that you might have or a prayer issue that might, you might want to talk to somebody with together. Now, as we take communion, um, it's going to be similar to what we do, but a little different than what we normally do. So the similarity is we have, uh, for now, we've got four stations set up, four communion tables, two up front, and then we've got two in the back. And in just a moment, our worship team's going to come out. You'll be free to get up and move to one of these tables whenever you're ready during communion. Um, but for our communion elements, um, because of COVID, trying to do a you know, hands-free experience, uh, we have these new communion cups that have the wafer and the juice inside you know, together. Don't you love technology? So I have to pre-warn you, though, that the first uh, top that you're going to take off is a small, uh, thin, clear plastic that you got to figure out how to get that off and separate the two. Otherwise, you're starting with uh, the juice instead of the, the wafer. So then you pull that off, and it reveals a wafer there. So then when you're ready, you take the wafer during communion, and then you peel off the rest of it, and then you'll have 
the juice as well. And then you can discard those in the trash cans that are available. So in just a moment, we'll, we'll move to, to those places and take communion together. And our worship team is going to guide us through a closing song. And by the end of the song, you should have finished communion on your own. So have a conversation with God and take communion when you're ready. You can do that standing up here. You can do that seated. Uh, turn around, go back to your seats. You can do that in any context that you feel comfortable with doing. So again, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So if you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray. Then you'll be free to celebrate communion. Lord, this morning we are incredibly grateful to know that you, Jesus, crossed every divide between us and you. There are an infinite number of divides between us and you. And yet, Jesus, you didn't wait for us to become good enough. You didn't wait for us to fix the damage that we had created. You stepped in and crossed those divides to serve us. And Jesus, you've asked us as your followers to learn from that and do that in return for other people. Lord, there's a lot of divides around us right now. There's ethnic divides and generational divides, socioeconomic divides, spiritual divides. There's so many divides out there, Lord. And we shouldn't just observe those divides and step away from them. You've asked us to step in and bring unity, have conversations, build relationships with people, model their value and worth, and treat them the way that you treat us. So Lord, this morning I know that you've spoken to us and Lord, I love how you take one message and you translate it into a hundred different hearts. And so Lord, I pray that we would do what you've asked us to do. Maybe a little unique, a little different for us individually, but Lord, I pray that we would take one thing. We would do that thing today and we would do that thing again tomorrow and again and again to learn how to bring unity to our broken world. In Jesus', Jesus powerful name we pray this. Amen. You are now free to take communion.